My fellow arcade addicts, thank you again for taking the time to listen to the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. I am your host, Vic Sage. For this episode of the show, we are going to be discussing a classic horizontal side-scrolling beat-em-up, developed by Irem and released to the arcades of Japan back in December of 1984. I am, of course, talking about Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu Master is a title that I did not experience at that fabled showbiz pizza of my youth, and since it was released here in the States in 1985, that meant that sadly the games people play arcade had already gone under. Where I first played Kung Fu Master was in the lobby, or perhaps it would be better to describe it as the entranceway to the local Food for Less grocery store. In fact, as by 1985, I was not able to go to Showbiz Pizza as much as I would have wished. It was this warehouse grocery store where I would play Exidy's Crossbow, Taito's Superman, and even the Goonies, thanks to the Versus system by Nintendo. My father kind of shopped day to day, so after getting off work, it wasn't uncommon for him to pick me up and head uptown to the Food for Less store. While, especially now, I wish I could have spent even more time at that showbiz pizza, the truth is, thanks to getting the Nintendo Entertainment System for really picking my grades up, and the local video store carrying NES titles, I was kind of set. Not to mention that Food for Less also offered me the opportunity to pick up a handful of comic books once a week. It's kind of what allowed me to start my comic book collection. Normally, I would head straight to the rows of magazines and grab the latest comics I followed. Then, I would deposit them in the shopping cart and head over to where the arcade games were. Generally, the store had two to three games. I suppose their distributor pulled a game when it stopped managing to earn anything. One week, Karate Champ was there, and the next was Kung Fu Master. Now, don't get me wrong, I liked Karate Champ quite a bit, but I really loved Kung Fu Master. Thanks to the store's proximity to the university campus, it was much more common to see college kids playing the games, more so than the gas station down the street that you've all heard me talk about on previous shows. The first time I laid eyes on Kung Fu Master, there were four college kids crowded around the game, so I did my best to angle myself so I could see a little of the action in the game be far enough back not to catch their eye. I've shared before how my experiences with older teenagers were not always the most pleasant, so I think you'll understand why I was trying not to be noticed. After a couple of minutes, they took off. One of them saw me and jerked a thumb at Kung Fu Master saying, Hey, you're up. I stepped up to the machine to find that the game still had two credits on it. I didn't waste any time getting my first game started. Quite frankly, hammering on the punch and kick buttons, mostly the kick button, against the opponents that were rushing towards me. While I may not have set any high scores, I did manage to make those two credits last until my father was finished with his shopping, and for what little it might be worth. For what those college kids did, I paid it forward. I put in two quarters for the next player to enjoy. Fair is fair, after all. Kung Fu Master wasn't around very long, maybe a month at most, but I did play quite a bit of it. I enjoyed the NES port of the game too, but more on that a bit later. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
Kung Fu Master was developed and published by Irem in 1984, although when released in December of 84 there, it was known as Spartan X. The reason for it being titled as such was to act as a tie-in for the 1984 film of the same name, starring none other than Jackie Chan. Although, as is pointed out online, the game has no real connection to the film beyond the name. Although, having said that, at least two of the main characters in the game are named after Jackie Chan and Lola Forner's character in the American version of the game. As a matter of fact, I've read online that this game started out being based on Bruce Lee's 1978 movie, Game of Death. Although, of course, the film itself, which was written, directed, and starred Lee, was never finished, as he sadly passed away in 1973. The story was altered using doubles and finally completed, but the setting in the film is a pagoda with five floors, each floor guarded by a different martial arts master, which is exactly the same as the Kung Fu Master arcade game. Now, we have talked about Hiram in the past. In fact, in the very first episode of the podcast with 1982's Moon Patrol. For release in the States, Irem licensed out Kung Fu Master not to Williams this time, like they did with Moon Patrol, but Data East. Data East USA, to be exact. Data East is another video game manufacturer and distributor that we've talked a bit about on the podcast before. Actually, just 15 episodes ago with Burger Time. I'll give you guys just a little recap. Data East, while now out of business, was founded back on April 20th of 1976, with their first arcade game being released the following year. That was Jacklot, which was a blackjack title. 1978 saw the release of Super Break, which as you can no doubt guess was a clone of Super Breakout. Data East US began operations in 1979, with 1980 seeing the release of the incredible Astro Blaster. Fighter pilots needed in Sector Wars. Play Astro Blaster. Data East would end up releasing the likes of Karate Champ, Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja, Robocop, and Bump and Jump, to name just a few. Kung Fu Master was designed and produced by Takashi Nishiyama, who, yet again, we talked about on the Moon Patrol episode, which, as I understand it from checking out an interview on a Neo Geo fan site, was his second game. He mentions he basically produced Kung Fu Master before Capcom took notice of him. Headhunted is the exact word he used. At Capcom, he worked on 1985's Section Z, following that up the next year with Trojan and Legendary Wings going on to be a producer for 1987's Mega Man, as well as heading up the Avenger arcade title, the vertical beat-em-up game, which was also known as Avengers. Not to be confused with Data East's 1994 four-player hit, Captain America and the Avengers. Nishiyama might be known best for being in charge of the 1987 Street Fighter arcade game, the first entry in the series that was responsible for introducing the world to Ryu and Ken. It might not have achieved as much success as Street Fighter 2 did four years later, but the six-button combination of punches and kicks was first introduced in the 1987 game. Takashi is the one credited for the Hadouken, which I've read was inspired by the wave motion gun from Space Battleship Yamoto. After working on Last Duel, Inner Planet War 2012, he would leave Capcom to work at SNK, having a hand in the Fatal Fury series as well as King of Fighters and the Art of Fighting series. Oh yeah, he also produced the first three Metal Slug titles. The catchy music for Kung Fu Master was courtesy of the legendary Koji Kondo. I've also read online that he was responsible for the sound effects used in the game. 
Now, Koji really made a name for himself when he was hired by Nintendo to be the very first to focus solely on creating musical scores for their video games. Now, I called Koji a legend, and he most assuredly is. While he provided some sound effects and a little of the music used in 1983's Punch-Out, which he did while still attending university, he would be known all over the world if he had only produced the scores for two games which were released in 1985 and 1986. Koji, you see, did the music for this particular title. Yes, he was responsible for the Super Mario Bros. theme, but in addition, he provided the score for this rather well-known Nintendo title, too. Now, Koji doesn't seem to have slowed down, as 33 years later, his last credit was for 2019's Super Mario Maker 2. Although, it appears that since 1997, he has normally worked with an additional composer, or in some cases, a couple of them. Now then, Kung Fu Master tasks one to two players, taking alternate turns with attempting to guide Thomas through the five treacherous levels of the pagoda known as the Devil's Temple. After starting the game, players will be treated to a sort of cutscene where, as Thomas, you're reading a letter sent by the villainous Mr. X, the master of the Devil's Temple. The letter reads, Your love Sylvia is in custody now. If you want to save your dear Sylvia's life, Come to the Devil's Temple at once. Five Sons of the Devil will entertain you. The player controls Thomas by way of a four-way joystick, allowing movement to the left and right, with pulling down on the stick causing Thomas to crouch. And when pressing up on the joystick, will allow our hero to leap up in the air. Pressing up to the left and right will also allow Thomas to make a short leap forward in the direction he's facing, generally in an effort to avoid a thrown object or an enemy on the ground. But in addition, with the attack buttons, you can deliver either an aerial punch or a jump kick. Thomas has a health meter in the upper left-hand side of the screen. Contact with enemies, thrown weapons, or obstacles will deplete it. Our hero can only take a few hits before he's knocked out, plummeting from the pagoda and having to start back at the beginning of the current stage. <laughs> With a game called Kung Fu Master, you can be certain that Thomas is a martial arts master, defending himself and laying low the foes that rush him with the punch and kick buttons. The kick button has a better reach, but you get more points for taking out the bad guys with the punch button. Of course, it's also more dangerous to defend yourself this way. Pressing the kick button will allow Thomas to lash out with a raised leg in whichever direction he's currently facing. And naturally, the same is true with the punch button. As I just mentioned, pulling the joystick down will let Thomas crouch, but players can still hit the attack buttons and deliver a crouching kick or punch. Useful in the earlier levels of the pagoda to avoid a knife thrown at your head while taking out the enemies that are trying to bum rush you from both sides of the screen. I should also add that in addition to worrying about taking hits from the enemies, you also have a time limit for each stage. If the time reaches zero before you've cleared the stage, you will immediately lose a life. I suppose this is where we should talk about the various enemies that players will encounter in Kung Fu Master. The bulk of the sinister forces of Mr. X are made up by thugs known as Grippers, which, if they make contact with Thomas, they will grab him and try to immobilize him. 
The more grippers that latch onto the player, the quicker the health bar will drain. To free yourself from these enemies, the player must shake the joystick left and right rapidly to throw them off. Like all of the enemies in Kung Fu Master, the grippers can appear from either side of the screen, although they are limited to only four at one time. For what it's worth, kicking a gripper, besides the satisfying image of seeing them falling off the pagoda, is worth 100 points. 200 points for a punch, and if you jump up and kick them in the face as they get near you, you also earn 200 points. However, and a big thanks to the strategy wiki on the score breakdown here, if you take out two grippers at once with a jump kick, the player will net 600 points. 200 for the first foe, and 400 for the second. If Thomas manages to take out three with one jump kick, the player is awarded 1400 points for the effort, and last but not least, say a player was to go back and forth on a stage, especially in the early stages, and manages to take out 12 grippers in a row. They will earn a staggering 5000 points for the ordeal. Granted, you have to remember that you have that timer running down while you're attempting this. The knife throwers appear generally one at a time, although they are quite capable of showing up on opposite sides of the screen, especially in later stages. These foes will hurl a knife either at Thomas's head or legs, forcing the player to attempt to jump over the lower knives and ducking the former. Of course, the issue is the knife thrower is capable of continuing to throw knives every few seconds, and they do their best to stay out of the player's reach. If Thomas just tries to run from the knife thrower, they will give chase. If it's safe to do so, it seems like closing the distance with a jump kick leap is the best way. The knife throwers are tougher than the grippers and must be struck twice before they are dispatched. You will earn 500 points for defeating them with a kick, 800 points for a punch, and 1000 points if you land a fatal jump kick. Both grippers and knife throwers appear on stage one. Once you've reached the end of the first level, players will encounter the first floor boss, the stick fighter who uses what appears to be a plank of wood to try and club Thomas to death, raising it above his head to strike the player in the face or crouching to kneecap you. The bosses have a health bar much like Thomas, and it requires multiple hits before you've defeated them. Taking out the stick fighter grants you 2,000 points. <laughs> Once the path is cleared, Thomas will march up the steps to the next level of the Devil's Temple, and you earn bonus points for the remaining time and how much life you have left. Beginning on the second level of the Pagoda, players will encounter some of the deadly traps that Mr. X has installed in the Devil's Temple, such as falling green pots. While they can be punched and kicked as they are falling, if they manage to reach the floor and break, a small snake will be freed and go rushing at the player. The bad news is you can't touch these foes after this happens. Thomas is forced to leap over them. Striking a pot with your kick earns you 100 points, and you get 200 for each one you've punched. There are also small yellow balls that drop from the ceiling on stage two. If these strike the floor, a green and yellow dragon will appear. It is stationary at least, but it will, after a second or two, if not dispatched, with a kick or punch in its mouth, emit a stream of fire. This can be ducked, or if the player is far enough back can be avoided easily enough. After a moment, it will disappear in a puff of smoke. If Thomas can punch one of those Dragon Balls, as it's plummeting, the player receives 600 points. Kicking one earns you 500 points, and if you land a kick or punch on the Dragon's snout, you will net 2,000 points. It's quite dangerous to attempt though, which is why I guess you get the higher score. Plus, I've heard in some cases you have to deal with Goku after you've destroyed one of the Dragon Balls. 
Another dangerous trap you encounter on stage 2 is the shrapnel ball. These multicolored or possibly bejeweled balls drop from the ceiling and hover for a few seconds, sort of shaking before they explode and send shrapnel in an arc. The player can jump up and kick or punch them for 1000 points each. While players will still have to contend with grippers and knife throwers on stage 2, they will also have to try and take out a new foe, the tom-toms. These are small and fast enemies, meant to be dwarfs I take it. They will try to grip Thomas's leg and drain his health, shake them off if this occurs. In addition, they can only be taken out with a crouching attack, earning you 300 points for a punch and 200 for a kick. Worst of all, they can sometimes leap at Thomas. If he's standing when they do so, they'll just bounce off his chest. No harm, no foul. If you are ducking when they do this, they will stomp on your skull as they hop by. Making it to the end of the second stage, a player will face off against the boomerang fighter. The dangerous part is when he cocks back his arm to throw a boomerang at you. You never know if you will toss one or two boomerangs at Thomas, nor if they are going to be coming at your head or legs, or after being thrown if they will return to the boomerang fighter, hitting you from behind. Kicking and punching him until he falls will earn you 3000 points. With the third stage of the pagoda, while you won't encounter any of those traps, you do have to contend with fast-moving grippers, tom-toms, and knife throwers before you come face-to-face -face with the rather large third stage boss. This enemy is a bit of a giant, and his long and far-reaching kicks are quite punishing. At the very least, he isn't carrying a weapon. So, if the player can stay out of the giant's reach, he can punish the enemy with jump kicks to the face, or punches to the midsection. Once the giant has fallen, the player earns 3000 points for their skills. It's on stage 4 where the player will have to fight off the poisonous moths. These enemies emerge from holes in the walls in the background, at multiple heights. If they come at Thomas from the very top, a player will have to leap up to strike them. Or if they come out of the holes near the floor, Thomas will either have to use a crouch attack or see if the moth will raise up enough to lash out with a punch or kick. The bad news is they appear to randomly fly up or down, so the player has to be ready to attack if need be. Thomas earns 500 points for a kick that connects and annihilates a poisonous moth and 600 points for a punch. In addition, you will still have to face off against tom-toms, knife throwers, and grippers. Awaiting Thomas at the end of the stage 4 pagoda is the dreaded magician, a hooked nose and hunchback foe that can with a wave of his hand hurl a fireball at Thomas, high or low. Now, a player can punch and kick those projectiles to be sure, but if they are just avoided, they can transform into a snake, poisonous moths, or even a dragon as they head back towards the magician. Also, the practitioner of the dark arts can create a duplicate of himself behind Thomas, forcing the player to worry about two fireballs being hurled in their direction. If Thomas can get in close enough, he can take out the magician with around three hits. Once the magician is gone, the player will receive 5000 points. In my opinion, it should be more. I personally feel he's the worst of the bosses. With stage 5 of the Devil's Temple, you will be assaulted by knife throwers, tom-toms, and grippers once again, but this time just coming at you over and over. At least there are no traps to deal with. Reaching the end of the level, and it's time for the main event. While Sylvia watches helplessly from the chair she is bound to, Thomas must face Mr. X. The dreaded foe has a longer reach than you in regards to his kicks, and he is quick to block any punches and kicks that the player sends his way. He does, however, manage to drop his guard just a second before he's ready to attack. This is the player's chance to let loose with a flurry of attacks before skipping out of harm's way when Mr. X retaliates. 
If the player helps Thomas prove he's the superior martial artist, they receive 10,000 points and a cutscene of Sylvia and Thomas reunited. Although, as the message plainly states, as we see our hero and his true love in an embrace, quote, their happy days did not last long, end quote, because the game starts back at the first stage. Although, as you might imagine, at a much higher difficulty. And now, these messages. Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics. I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ganon are pretty bad. Octoroks, Tektex, Levers too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go Link, yeah, get Zelda. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The Legend of Zelda sold separately. Arcade Arsenal. Robocop and Bad Dudes for Nintendo. Your move, creep. Part man, part machine. All game. Robocop. Stay out of trouble. Bad dudes. The forces of good have never been so bad. If you're bad enough, then you're good enough for bad dudes and Robocop. For Nintendo. Friends, I'm afraid that Earl Green was unable to join us for this episode. His daytime job kept him from giving us the lowdown on the ports of Kung Fu Master. I'm sure, though, he will return next week, because it's kind of a big episode. More on that in just a bit. Many of the more popular home consoles and computers of the day saw a port of Kung Fu Master, starting in 1985 with the Nintendo Entertainment System. Although, this version was entitled merely Kung Fu, as well as the Commodore 64, Sinclair ZX Spectrum, and the Apple II. In 1987, the Amstrad CPC, as well as the Atari 2600, received a home version of the game. I will admit, I was not aware of the Atari version. It might be a little limited compared to some of the other systems, but just looking at the screenshots, I feel it's kind of impressive. In addition, it was developed by Activision. In 1989, the Atari 7800 received a home port, and if what I read online is correct, it's apparently a rather rare find. The popularity of Kung Fu Master led Irem to begin developing an arcade sequel entitled Beyond Kung Fu Return of the Master. As I understand it, it made it far enough to be tested in arcades in Japan, but didn't do so hot. It was altered to become 1988's Vigilante. There was a sequel produced by way of the Game Boy that included new bosses and stages and a Famicom-only title, which was released in 1991, called Spartan X2. The kidnapping angle was altered to feature a character named Johnny Spartan, who was taking out drug dealers and possessed an ability to throw an uppercut. For what it's worth, at the arcade, we do have Kung Fu Master. It was a game that Shay Mathis, the owner and manager of the Arcadia Retrocade, of course, had on his radar for quite some time. While it is located in the second wing of the arcade, I believe, and I could be wrong here, I think it needs a little maintenance. I recall seeing it play for a couple of minutes before the screen would just go black. Speaking of the arcade, here is Gary Burton to talk a bit about the impressive fighting game lineup at Arcadia. Take it away, Gary. Hello, everyone. 
Gary here, the head game tech at Arcadia Retrocade, back again to fill you in on some recent work that's been going on behind the scenes here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Kung Fu Master isn't the only fighting game in Arcadia where two players can face off against each other. An entire wall of the new area of the arcade is now dedicated to the popular game. The row starts near the ramp and features such fan favorites as Karate Champ, Kung Fu Master, and a currently ailing Shinobi Cabinet. The fighting games continue along our western wall, starting with Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, and Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate, Tekken, and Dark Stalkers. Marvel Super Heroes rounds out the row before moving along to a pair of Neo Geo cabinets, which feature several fighting games as well. These were all very popular, dedicated games during the heyday of pay-as-you-play arcades, and should be a draw for our guests to enjoy. Besides featuring an endless stream of punching, kicking, and special moves available for all the game characters, these games all share one thing in particular. All the controls and control surfaces have been extremely worn in their past lives before coming to our arcade. Nearly all the joysticks and action buttons had to be rebuilt, replaced, or glued back together due to some robust gameplay in the last 25 years or so. Adam, our game tech associate, and my son William have spent many hours rebuilding the controls to prepare the cabinets for eventual reopening. After rebuilding all those controls, we had to also spend many hours testing the games, be sure they could take the kind of play our customers expect to enjoy while visiting. William learned very quickly how to defend himself against a lethal move in Mortal Kombat for me and can now keep up with my relentless attacks. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a great week. And friends, I think that about wraps up our episode. As always, I want to thank you again for taking the time to listen to the show. I really do appreciate your support and hope that you are enjoying this second season of the podcast. I realize I'm no expert, just a fan of classic arcade and home console games, and I enjoy talking about them. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is currently available on iTunes. I'm working on rebuilding the podcast library, very slowly, as a result of switching from the Retroist site to the pop culture Retrorama one. You can check out daily posts by visiting www.popcultureretrorama.com. The Diary of an Arcade Employee should be available on Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and Stitcher. No matter how you listen to the show, if you have a moment and enjoy the podcast, why not give us a rating and a review to help us find new listeners? You can find out more about the Arcadia Retrocade by visiting Facebook. Or if you want daily posts, you can check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast Facebook page. I share all manner of vintage arcade and home console fun multiple times a day. And just recently, on Sunday evenings, starting at 9 p.m. Central Time, we host a watch party, showing everything from documentaries to old Starcade episodes. So we hope you can join us. While Earl wasn't on this show, he is a frequent contributor to the Pop Culture Retrorama site, as well as being a very good friend of the arcade. Earl also happens to head up thelogbook.com, one of the longest-running websites for literally all things pop culture related. Gary Burton frequently shares photographs from the work he's doing at the arcade, sharing them on the Diary of an Arcade Employee Facebook page. In addition, from time to time, he contributes articles to the Pop Culture Retrorama site. If you have any feedback or comments about the podcast, you can always reach me on Facebook or throw me an email at vicsagepopculture at gmail.com. You also can often find me posting things on my Instagram account, which is simply vicsage underscore. I, of course, want to thank The Retroist. For over a decade, The Retroist provided a spot on the internet where fans of all things retro could visit and enjoy the best retro-related articles and podcasts. I certainly wouldn't have my own site or multiple podcasts without the Retroist support. Now, next week will be the 50th episode of the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast, and the subject of the show is going to be something of a viewer request. And many of you have asked that we tackle this one. 
Here's a hint. It's tax scan, a squadron of spaceships on a valiant mission. Next is pro bowling, a roll down the alley. Middle of the day is millipede, and the bugs are back. Then it's wild western, good guys and bad guys in a train chase. And Donkey Kong, Mario in pursuit to save his lady. This has been a pop culture retrorama podcast. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. The Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast is not affiliated with or authorized by IREM, Nintendo, Data East, or any of the individuals and businesses that have been mentioned in the show. All music and sound clips from the games and ads are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purpose of review, criticism, and commentary only, and are not intended to infringe. I said, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless, like water. End of line.